Hi, everybody. Welcome again to another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. This is episode 100. Cue the applause and the fireworks and the parade. I'm your host, Phil Huber. I'm joined, as always, by Logan and John since we have been from episode number one. On today's show, we're going to talk about Freaky Friday woodworking and what's the point. So hope you enjoy today's episode. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Magazine. Woodsmith Magazine has been the trusted source for all your woodworking information for over 40 years. From tips and techniques to furniture projects to shop projects, you'll find it all at Woodsmith Magazine. Subscribe today at woodsmith.com. All right. First off, congratulations, everybody, on making it to 100. I think the only reason we've made it to 100 is because it's like a like a public access station where nobody can really stop us. <laughs> you know, nobody can well, flip off the switch, right? And it's it's one of those rage things. It's like we hate doing it so much that you you just can't give in and stop. Yeah, right. we're th- like, we're that stubborn. Yeah. We're gonna show the haters. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. So. Yeah. So nicely done. Was it though? And it's not like we killed ourselves to do it either, because we've taken vacations. We've had our breaks. That's true. That is true. Hmm. So slow so, and steady. You know right. who the real hero is? Anybody who's kept with us since episode one? No, they're just dumb. Uh, Nate Gruka <laughs> is our real hero. Oh yeah, he has to put up with this. Everybody else, they all have a choice. They can stop listening whenever they want. Right. So if people right. like are like, screw you guys, they can. But see themselves out. Yep. He's Poor had to Nate, deal though. with yeah. editing Nate. all the podcasts and all the video edition stuff, videos. and We should have Nate and on the podcast sometime. We should. That would be kind of fun. Yeah. Nate does a thousand things around here behind mm-hmm. the scenes and would hate to be in the limelight here. And I'm sure that he is going to edit this out. <laughs> probably going to edit all of this out. However... I do want to give a shout out to Nate because he helped us get started on the podcast in terms of logistics and setting things up way back from when we were doing this in person and around the workbench trying to get microphones set up. And then when we switched to trying to do it over Teams or Skype or whatever, and now Mm -hmm. through the software Riverside that we're working with right now. So, yeah, we've gone through a lot of software and hardware changes over the 100 episodes. And yeah. For a while, though, it seemed like there was something different every week that was, like, <laughs> broken. Yeah. yeah. And he just dealt like with it. not being close enough to the microphone or yeah. yep. somebody's microphone getting unplugged in the middle of the thing or... Video and audio not syncing or people freezing up or patching three feeds together. Well, and... To be fair, I think he also that, has to work with us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and I think that I mean not to discount because Nate <laughs> he puts up a lot of crap from us, uh, but this software's also gotten a little bit better. Like I think mm-hmm. so many people started doing this exactly what we're doing over the last year and a half, two years that I think. Uh, the Riverside software we use, they're adding stuff. I mean, come on, they added all these like awesome like <laughs> these. Mm-hmm. So right. 
You know, I think they wa- listen to our podcast and then like, probably hey, these guys like, need he, some laugh yeah, tracks, any kind of shots. Yeah, you guys need yeah. something. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. But. so, one of the things that I would like to discuss with you guys today, uh, and it's come up. One of the items came up in my own shop, and then one was something that we were were filming an episode this week for season sixteen. And it came up in there. And for lack of a better or more creative title, it's it's the I'm calling it like what's the point? And I asked for some whole time. <laughs> right. <clears throat> here's where I'm going with it. Quarter inch Forstner bit, like what's it good for? <laughs> because if you try to drill a deep hole, like if you were roughing out a mortise with a quarter inch Forstner bit you are picking chips out of that thing every yeah three sixteenths of an inch down that you go you just gotta power through yeah just keep you just gotta away. Just, yeah <laughs> just burnish the hole yeah smoke it because i mean yeah. you can just point at a quarter inch forstner bit and it clogs up mm-hmm. yeah you can just go 16th inches at a time just go yeah and I don't know. And it's pretty much any Forstner bit that I've used, any brand. So I would challenge anybody out there that has a favorite Forstner bit brand or design or whatever that they're going with. I just have not. So unless you're making super shallow recesses for, I don't know, hardware or something on a project. I just don't know what the point of a quarter inch Forstner bit other than to feel like you have the full set. So I will say flat bottom holes. That's the only thing it does better than like, because the Brad point bit leaves that hump in the center. Yeah, I can because see that. Those spurs and then the center point and it leaves that kind of donut shaped hump. Yeah. Um, a twist bit gives you that concave hole. Right. Forcer bit at least will be fairly flat bottomed. Yeah. So, but um, at what expense? <clears throat> right. Not only that, but what what's your application where in a quarter inch you need that as a flat bottom? You know what I'm saying. Don't put me on the spot. I don't know. <laughs> that's why I'm saying. That's uh, that's the only. The I mean, that's, the, that's the only thing I can come up with. Yeah. So can we like come up with some sort of Forcer bit with? a spiral flute on it or some sort of chip ejection technology. Maybe. I hear Shop Notes Magazine's going to do some metalworking. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Or or is there a good way to grind a brad point bit to give you a flat bottom? Hmm. That's true. And then it's kind of like... Why? Yeah. Kind of takes the point of the brad point. It does. Yeah. Away. So, side note here, while okay. we're, we're just talking about Forstner bits, okay? I did something the other day that I don't think I've ever done before. And it worked so stupidly well that I'm going to do it again. <laughs> I, I, I dug through Steve Johnson's drawer and found I needed a two and a half inch Forstner bit. And I found one. There was one in... Uh, Take that back. It wasn't in Steve Johnson's drawer. I looked in his. It wasn't in his. It was back at the lathe. 
And I think it was one that Dylan had bought to do something with a project, whether it was like the, oh, it was the coffee cup. It was the, the, the turned wood coffee cup. But it was smoked. And I think it was, it was like one of those like Chinesium Forstner bits off of Amazon that was like like the two and a half inch Forstner bit was like $7 after shipping. Right. You know, you, you know it's bad. Yeah. But I needed it to define holes on this uh, charcoal pullout on the scroll cart. And I'm like, I want this to be fairly sharp. I threw it in the vise and I hand sharpened that Forstner bit with a um, triangle file that we had because it had the little sawtooth cutters it worked unbelievably well i was so happy with how that worked um now i have i do have i have auger files at home for like my my hand auger bits yeah bracing bit yep um but i've never tried it with the forstner bit and i was mighty impressed yeah i've sharpened a few forstner bits and it's amazing how well they work after that you know you can use the diamond paddles on the ramps yep on the flat part of the ramps and then Mm -hmm. yeah either uh I think we have some. We had some diamond files around here too. Yeah. Well, I, I had. I mean, this one was big enough. That I could actually use that triangle file for everything. Oh yeah. Now, yeah, a, a diamond paddle would probably be better. It's a little finer. It'll get a little sharper. Yeah. But I figure, psh, I sharpen my chainsaw with a file. He's sharpened a forcer a bit with a right. file. There you go. Now I will say, I don't know how well it would work to try to to sharpen. Let's say like one of the. The Fisk, the the wave edge oh, yeah, cutters, yeah. that would be a little harder. You might have to get in there with like a, a Dremel or something and sharpen the inside face of them. But yeah. the uh, yeah, it worked well. I was, nice. I was happy. So maybe that's what you cool. need with your quarter inch bit. Maybe you just need to file the opening bigger in the Forstner. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> that sounds like a no. I don't. <laughs> it's so teeny tiny know, that little is. ramp on there I that know. I just don't know what. On a related note, uh, the project that we're building is a craftsman style sideboard, mm-hmm. and as soon as you say craftsman, you know that there are nine thousand mortise and tenon joints yeah. on there. So, uh, we were routing a groove yesterday, and did it with a plunge router and a handheld. And John automatically grabbed a spiral bit for it, which is the right choice, which makes me, on a related note, what's the point of a standard quarter-inch straight bit? It's cheaper. Yeah. Carbide. (laughs) I mean, do they make carbide-edged spiral bits? I mean, I'm sure there's, like, carbide spiral bits. Yeah, they're solid carbide. Yeah, I would I would think they'd be a little brittle, but maybe not. Um, but I yeah, know. I did they just work six thousand times better? I know, and they don't burn. It's for the people that don't know about spiral bits. Yeah, okay. Because they have to be cheaper to make, right? Like, yeah, there's no you know, machining I'm not, involved. Right, right, and I don't. It's like, why do they have cheap cars? Because you know, <laughs> some people just don't want to spend money. Yeah, and I get that. That's. That's fair, not everybody, but the price differential between a solid carbide quarter-inch spiral bit and a regular quarter-inch straight bit, that premium can't be that high. Right. I mean, now, yeah, you can find to the, the, the Harbor Freight quarter-inch bit that's made out of, I don't know, an aluminum alloy, and 
and then you just find your you know Ansrud or whatever premium bit then yes there's going to be a huge difference but hmm. you know like what's a Freud quarter inch straight bit versus a solid carbide spiral bit from Freud okay, or so, CMT or whatever so here's a white a white side quarter inch spiral bit okay um, it's carbide all right one inch cutting length twenty dollars okay uh, the straight bit from a mana tool carbide sixteen fifty, and Ooh. I would call both of those in terms of quality. I would they're say that they're similar. pretty comparable. Yeah. Yep, yep. So, so spend the extra three fifty. Yes. Yeah. Now you can get a wolf ride four piece straight cut bit for twelve dollars. How much for the Menards Tool Shop brand straight bit set? Free for rebate, John. Yes. There's the value right yes. there. Right. Because you're and using that. You're just rolling over your savings into yep. like a case of Spreckers is yes. what you're yep. doing. Yep. It's like the new cryptocurrency. Yep. Yes. Mm-hmm. That and Kohl's Cash. <laughs> That's where I got all my money tied up right now is in Kohl's Cash. Kohl's Cash, yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. It's um, really investment grade when you think about it. Yeah. 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 That's funny. So anyway, I would love to hear from viewers, listeners, um, their what's the point. Something that in your shop, just like why does this thing exist? And it could be anything woodworking related. Okay, so I, I have a question. All right. Or I have, I have a what's the point. All right. What's the point of the super complex, like, uh, Lee or craftsman style dovetail jigs when something like the Keller dovetail jig works just as well. And it's as stupid simple as you can get. Right. What's the point? Marketing. I mean, well, I mean, I get, I get the adjustability. Like you can do variable space dovetails. Whoever does it, you know, like, mm-hmm. you generally just do straight through dovetail. I mean, half blinds, I guess. Yeah, I think that would probably be the big thing is if you wanted to do. Yeah. If you were in a situation where you're going to do half blind dovetails on drawers and that's kind of your MO, mm-hmm. is that like the, I mean, RIP Porter Cable, but their jig, you just kind of, like we have it here, is set up for set up for drawers yeah and then that's really all you're using it for yeah in spite of its multi-functionality yeah so like and, and the whole reason i say this i was over at my buddy greg's shop helping him with the cabinet this weekend and last time i was over he's like hey can you help me set up this craftsman dovetail jig to to do these drawers and i'm like i looked at it i'm like there's a lot of levers on that it's like <laughs> I'll just bring you mine, bro. We'll do it. We'll do it with mine. It's way easier, <laughs> which we did, and it worked great. So yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, that's it. Like that Porter Cable one has other functionalities, but it's just like just set it up to do the one thing and leave it alone. Yeah, yeah. And you're just gonna be messing. You're gonna lose parts. Thing. Forget how to set it up. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Kind of like uh, I mean, at that point, then you're in the realm of like the old Woodsmith one. That yeah. we talked about in a previous episode where it's it's just for dovetail. It's and, just for drawers. And that's perfect. Yeah. You know, and actually, it's funny. I was looking at that Keller one. So we had that because uh, Nancy Hiller was here doing a uh, video series with us. 
And that was the one she requested, right, John? And yep, if I remember yep. right, that Keller dovetail jig just comes with the top template and um, the bits. And you have to add the plywood base to it and stuff. Mm-hmm. And you could, I mean, you could, quite honestly, I'm thinking of like the, uh, oh, our finger joint jig that we made on the show a couple seasons ago where it had like a hardboard backer on it and you could add some stops. Like you could really deck that thing out pretty well and it would work really nice. Um, you know, I was just, I just screwed on stops and, you know, uh, it works, it works fine, but, yeah, um, it's just one of those things like sometimes, sometimes simple is better. Yeah. So. So, yeah. So anyway, interested to hear anybody's thoughts on, on what's the point. John, you got anything off the top of your head? Uh, all of it. All. What's the like, what are we? All? What are we even doing here? Yeah. <laughs> uh, then the other one, the other topic that I had that I think I'm not even sure where I, how it came came to my brain, but it was like the concept of like Freaky Friday woodworking. In the sense that is there a style of woodworking? that you would do almost as like a like an exchange student like it would just be interesting to try working in this other style for a while you know without having to invest in the tools you know just to see what it's like for example uh we have a japanese hand plane that's been kicking around among different people at woodsmith here sort of like a curse because everybody sees it and thinks that this would be a really cool tool to use and they mess around with it for a little bit and then they give it away to somebody else however you know like working in the japanese hand tool tradition would be interesting to try like i can't afford to swap out all of my planes or chisels or saws or shop setups to do that just to try or to see what it's like but it would be in terms of curiosity interesting to to work in yeah i i think that's a very good example because it would be interesting to switch over to completely japanese style tools um, let's just not, I mean, not even Japanese, just, you know, Asian style tools, um, pole saws, pole planes, stuff like that. I kind of, <clears throat> I, I thought Phil was going to say, it'd be interesting to, to sit there and do intarsia for a while. Right. <laughs> I thought that's yeah. where he was going. Really just change it up. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, a whole different direction. Clean break. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, not necessarily, I, I guess I, I could see how somebody would be like, oh, how cool would it be to be able to, like, have or work in a shop with all of the best of the best tools? Like, sure. I mean, it would be cool to step into a shop that has all, like, Feldler stuff. Like, yeah. big sliding table saws, big, huge... Pl- like, that would be cool just to see how it works, but I have mm-hmm. no desire to do that. Um, 
I have kind of started to do this a little bit um, inadvertently, and I know my wife doesn't listen to this podcast, so I could say this. I've started to kind, I you know, I've, I've started to kind of um, add a bunch of um, English style hand tools okay. to my tool cabinet, um, mainly infill style planes. Um, and they're completely different. I mean, the, just using them is completely different than using like my Lee Nielsen or a Stanley style plane. It, I like it. I, I really like it. So it, it's kind of interesting and it would be kind of fun. And I've, I've, I think I've probably mentioned this to you, Phil. I, I've played around with the idea of just selling all my like traditional style planes, my traditional being the Stanley style and going to straight infills. Like I would only need three or four of them right to have everything i would need um just the that style and and working with those planes instead of well, what i have would be super interesting i mean not it wouldn't really change my process necessarily uh but it would be more of a um the technique and the way i approached work would be a little different i think right yeah that's what i'm saying is to have that <clears throat> Like I said, whether it's just a full-on switch or yeah. whatever, I you know, I would like to think that I could do more hand tool skills, and I think some of it is just biting the bullet and doing it. Versus, mm -hmm. it's really easy to resaw this board with my bandsaw. Yeah. Well, yeah, you know. and there's a there's a point where it's like I just I yeah. However, you know, on the flip side, I would also enjoy kind of like what you said is being part of somebody who does a bunch of you know has has really top of the line machines yeah you know like a and does largely power tool work meaning case good stuff you know mm -hmm. to work with you know somebody that does a lot of stuff with a track saw and a domino joiner and yeah that kind of stuff. Yeah. Completely different approach to the work. Yeah. Um, yeah. Cause I've seen, I've seen several videos on YouTube of like European custom furniture mm -hmm. or not necessarily custom, <clears throat> but you know, just high end furniture companies and to see the processes that they use. And, you know, they use tools that are not practical in my shop at all, you know, mm -hmm. like even a former, one of our former coworkers, Kent Welsh, uh, runs a furniture making business. And he found, uh, like a Felder, I think it's a Felder, like five in one sliding table saw. Mm -hmm. So it's got the, the table saw and a spindle molder and joiner planer and whatever else goes with it but you know like i just feel like a sliding table saw would be super cool to use on a daily basis mm -hmm. in terms of its functionality and whatever so yeah i think from a let's say from a content standpoint so project content i i think it would be fun to spend a couple of weeks or months or whatever 
it's called a retreat. Isn't that what you're supposed to have? Like, you're supposed to have, like, a midlife crisis retreat, right? There you so, go. Like, sabbatical. Yeah, sabbatical. Thank you. That's what I was looking for. So, to do a sabbatical with somebody that does strictly green woodworking. Okay. Um, just because, like, it's something I'm interested in, something I would like to do, and, I mean, I have a lot, I, I deal with a lot of green wood, but it's not from a, like, using it standpoint. So I think they'd be kind of interesting to, you know, there's there's people that will build furniture straight from green wood, which is kind of interesting to me. And it's interesting how they are able to do that without stuff moving and breaking. Um, and same same way with uh, some of the chair makers. Like, it'd be really cool to go just hang out for a couple months with somebody that does, you know, Windsor chairs, and that's it. Like, that sure. would be that would be kind of fun. Okay. That's fair. John? Uh, sometimes I wonder if it would be easier just to, like, up and just switch all to metric. You know, just get nutty. <laughs> here, here. Move, I agree. Move to Canada. and But it's, like, it's a total retooling because, like, all your drill bits and router bits are, you know, on the inch and yeah. all that stuff. So it's, like, just all the different tools. Just so swap it's just it out. not practical yeah. here Yeah, because it's, like, States. your chisels. Yeah. The other than hand saws. It's switching everything. Mm-hmm. And do they make a metric dado blade set? Like, is that a thing? I'm sure it is. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. That would be... Hmm. I... Mm, am I making this up? Yes. Or... Okay. That's fair. <laughs> I, I vaguely recall somebody saying that dado blades were not able to be sold in the UK. Oh, maybe. Uh, that does sound yes. like... Did I, say, did I make that up, or is that correct? No, I think it that's correct. Legit. I think the arbor on a on European table saws is actually too short to fit a dado blade. Mm, that's smart. Probably for safety reasons, or...? Yeah, because they've... Because you can't use... Like, you can't put a splitter or a riving knife with a dado blade, is the big thing. Mm. Okay. But I'm, why I'm would you? I mean, are you through cutting with a dado blade? So it's like, <laughs> why would you need one? Yeah. There I mean, was, I have. Because something. But. Okay. And also because, you know, like most, a lot of table saws have the blade guard as part of a splitter. Mm. And you can't so you have, have to remove the, guard the blade guard. And then that was one of the big blade. things, okay, too. So using it. Okay. A dado blade is prohibited by EN and IEC standards. Therefore, this is not offered in the European market. Sure. Um, it would be great if any of our out-of-country listeners can weigh in on this. Um, dado blades are legal to sell or buy in some countries, such as Denmark, due to the danger. I'm, I'm so they, shook now. I don't think I can. So is, <laughs> so is there like a black market? <laughs> in, might, yeah. Maybe. I could, we could make a killing selling all of our dado blades here over in Europe. Right. Yeah. Woodsmithdadobladesdarkweb.com. Yeah. Well, it's it's kind of interesting. I This is kind of on a little tangent. But, like, the different European safety, safety standards um, are, are interesting to me. Uh, yeah. I, when I was at AWFS back in July, I was uh, having breakfast with um, some of the folks from Technitool, uh, which makes like the Nova line lathes and and stuff like that. 
and uh, they have a new lathe that they're working on. It's not out yet, um, but they they have a new lathe that they are working on that is designed for the European market. I'm like, okay, what do you mean? Like, that's weird. Uh, and they're like, well, in Europe as a whole, I'm not, I'm not one particular country, but in Europe, there are different safety standards and there are different different quality standards that are uh, necessary in a power tool. And that's where they were targeting. So they're going to offer the same lathe in the U.S. It just was like they're designing and building this lathe based on the European safety standards and European quality standards. Sure. Um, which is uh, super interesting to me. It's like yeah. um, we just got a new planer in yesterday from Laguna and Laguna is, I believe, a German company. Mm. I was going to guess French. <laughs> Would you? Laguna. Yeah, Laguna. Laguna. Maybe. It's French for the Guna. Maybe. <laughs> I only know this because I... Well, I'm, I guess I'm only assuming... I'm only assuming that they're German because I'm pretty sure the guy I met at AWFS, his name's Benny. I'm pretty sure his dad is, like, the CEO, and Benny is 100% German. Uh, hmm. Like, I mean, from Germany. Um, so, kind of... Uh, hold on. Anyways, um, when we, we unboxed this this planer yesterday, uh, it was it's very well put together. I was pretty impressed with it. So, I don't yeah, know. It, it looks really cool. Yeah. And I don't know if it was because it was all, like, matte black and just... It looked really fast. Maybe. Yeah. That might be what it is. Look cool, like a sports car. Yeah, but that's funny. Uh so maybe Laguna's based in Texas. <laughs> yeah, I might be wrong. Harris, Texas. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. So Dusseldorf, Texas. Yes. So German engineering with Texas know-how. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Oh, so no. Okay, so here's what it is. Sorry, I this is I'm I'm kind of reading their uh, their deal right now. Um, there was uh, so there are ties. There are ties to Denmark and uh, Roblin machine machinery, which is in the UK or not UK in Europe. Um, and I think Laguna is kind of like the love child of those. So, there's European ties. It's not based in Germany. I was wrong. Mark this date down. 108. Yep. Yep. This is how we fact check on the fly. Yep. Yep. With apologies to anybody from Laguna. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure they'll let us know. We still love your tools. Yeah. It's quiet. That was was the biggest surprise to me. It's... So this planer is a 20-inch planer. It's a PX20. It's a 20-inch planer, helical head, with a 5-horse, 230-volt single-phase motor. Our previous planer, which is still in the shop, is a 15-inch Powermatic with a 2-horse motor, maybe a 3-horse motor. Um, It's either a 2- or 3-horse. That was 220 also. It was 220 also. And... The Laguna is probably half as loud as the Powermatic. 
Now, yeah. that Power Mac has a lot of miles on it. Sure. So some bearings may be getting a little loose and stuff, but pretty impressed with it. So yeah. I'm going to do some tool reviews on it, do some projects with it. So we'll see how she goes. And it's interesting to see Laguna's design aesthetic change over the years because their their current line of tools, whether it's that planer or their dust collector systems, even their bandsaws have gone with a much more contemporary, streamlined look to them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because what year would that Laguna bandsaw in the shop be from? That, that other one 90s. that we have, yeah, probably late 90s or early 2000s, maybe. Mm-hmm. And the ones they have now are, you know, better looking. I think they, they perform really well, too. So it's not not going to just on appearance, but there is a there is industrial design that relates to how it performs, too. So, But it's interesting to see that they've made a clean break with kind of the established look of certain woodworking tools mm-hmm. you know it's like almost any large format planer looks very similar and it all relates to you know cast iron castings from the 1920s kind of yep. look to it which have their own appeal but but to step away from that I think is kind of an interesting choice Hmm. All right. Judge just browsing the Laguna's tools offering. <laughs> yeah, I just, yeah. Popped over to their Clicks website. Clicks add to yep. cart. Yep. Yeah. So, anyway, I uh, one of my Christmas presents arrived late this year, okay. and it was uh, it's Matt Kenny's new book, okay. Build Better Boxes, which I've kind of been a fan of Matt Kenny. He's been on the show before. And uh, he's kind of he's found his niche in making boxes. Mm-hmm. Uh, he also wrote a book on Kumiko, which I think we had him on the show for. Yep. Uh, but I I really like his style. Like he's got a and he's he's been very deliberate in developing that style. And it's just kind of interesting whether I would build boxes of his scale or not. I I learned something from it, and it's really fun to see a. Uh, a book like that come out because there's other woodworking project books no offense to anybody where it just feels like they're just trying to fill pages with the projects and they're kind of random and in a get it done kind of way and I I like Matt's this particular book because of how he how he develops and explains his style through the techniques that he uses yeah you know, one thing I like about Matt's boxes that he does is he does a very good job of subtleness of certain design elements. So sure. whether it's a pop of color here or there, right, or a liner or uh, a shadow line that is simply created by a chamfer. I mean, he does, he does a very yeah. nice job of bringing subtle design elements into a very simple project. Right. Which I think yeah. is pretty cool. And he, you know, I, you know, I, we struggle with this too when it comes to designing boxes that we do in the magazine 
is getting the scale right. Oh, yeah. You know, because it's really easy to make a box out of just about anything that you have lying around. But if you make a small box out of three-quarter inch material, it's going to feel clunky no matter how tight the miters are or how well fit the lid is or something like that. But Matt uh, has really been thoughtful in how he works with scale in terms of if your box is going to be this small, then pieces aren't going to be thicker than three eighths of an inch, you Mm -hmm. know? So he's working on a much finer scale. Yeah. Which translates up, you know, if you make a bigger piece, then, you know, different parts or components need to be wider or narrower or whatever to, to make that scale look right. Yeah. Plus, he has a great beard, so come on. <laughs> <laughs> He's got it all. He's got it yeah. all. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, yeah, just like looking at Matt's website, I mean, even his Kumiko panels he does, just good, subtle pops of color. Like, um, and they're, they're well thought out. And this, like this one I'm looking at right now, looks like it has pins in it, um, holding you know the frame together, and yeah. the, the pins aren't painted, but the rest of the frame is. Great little detail. Um, so mm-hmm. just well thought out. Which brings me to a a point to wrap up today's show is because the three of us work in woodworking as our day job, in addition to practicing it as a hobby what kind of resources do you guys i mean are you guys do you guys buy project books you know for plan ideas or project ideas or just as a i don't know a library of whatever you know like i have a book that there's another guy used to work at matt Berger used to work at fine woodworking and i think he's in the tech industry out in California. And he did a book on making skateboards. And I don't know that I would ever build a skateboard, but I bought the book because of, you know, his use of veneers and um, shaping odd shaped components and working within a style and stuff like that. That was just inspiring to me. And I was able, you know, and I still flip through that book from time to time, you know, to, for different, yeah, inspiration, I guess, yeah. just to keep repeating the same word. I- See, I guess I've never bought a book. Like, I, I buy woodworking books, um, but I've never bought a book with the intent to build what's in the book. Right. Um, I more buy the book, like you said, for the technique, for the um, the thought behind it. I've bought a lot of woodworking books simply because I know the authors or sure. I've followed their work closely for years. Uh, and it's more of just the supporting them. Um, and Phil, you and I have talked about this before. There's a lot of, it seems like everybody who's been in the woodworking publishing industry has written a book at some point. You know what I sure. mean? There's a lot of woodworking books floating around out there. Um, they sometimes, as you say, feel like they're just trying to fill the page. Um, but then there's well thought out books that show thoughtfulness and 
craftsmanship behind the pages, if that makes sense. So, like Matt's book, you know, mm-hmm. some of his, uh, some of the key points that I would take away from that book are have nothing to do with boxes. You know, even though that right. may be the focus of the book, um, which I think, I think most people who write these type of books would be happy to hear. Sure. Um, you know, one of them I bought uh, recently was um, a book. Um, it was, oh god, it was about a Turner that passed away a number of years ago. Um, that kind of started the the uh, studio movement in turning. So you know, getting turning pieces into the studio, uh, the art studio, and stuff. Um, and I bought it more as a inspirational kind of coffee table style book, uh, more of a look at the pretty pictures instead of necessarily read the words. Yeah. Um, so I think that's where I gain more out of woodworking books than I do project ideas. Uh, most of my project ideas tend to come from necessity or something cool I saw in an antique store, um, or if I you know have a random idea. Google's my favorite place to go look for different designs and stuff like that. Um, I tend to go towards the books more for you know uh, aspirational type stuff yeah yeah I'm the same way I I haven't gotten any books lately just because we have so much resources around here in our library and archives and stuff but yeah before I worked here and yeah, that was pre YouTube and Google days so I used to get all the magazines and books and get ideas from those and Whatnot. And, and yeah, like what you said too. Of just, there's no intention of building the exact projects that are in there, but just get kind of ideas and techniques and 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 kind of inspiration. Cool. Yeah. If anybody else, readers or viewers and listeners, uh, have any books or resources that they've turned to, uh, whether it's a book, magazine, uh, website. Instagram account, whatever. If you want to share it in the comments, we'd love to see it. Uh, Otherwise, I think that'll wrap up today's episode of the Shop Notes podcast. Thanks for listening and joining us in our 100th episode celebration. If you have any questions, comments, or smart remarks, you can leave them in the comments section on our YouTube channel, or you can email us, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. Thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll see you next week. Bye. This episode of the Shop Notes podcast is brought to you by Woodsmith Plans. You'll find nearly a thousand plans covering everything that you'd want to build. From furniture projects to gift projects, kitchen accessories, workshop projects and jigs, and more. Find your next project at woodsmithplans.com.